Welcome to the Witty and Gritty Podcast, where we believe that lifelong learning and relentless determination are essential to developing your passions and reaching your goals. Here to help you along the way are the hosts of the show. Take it away, ladies. Hey, y'all. I'm Brooke. And I'm Farron. As educators and high achievers, we're passionate about providing our listeners with effective strategies to help navigate life's obstacles and reach your goals sooner. Join us as we break down credible research that gives you a fresh perspective and challenges your limiting beliefs. Laugh and grow as we share personal anecdotes and interviews from people that have demonstrated what it takes to be successful. By implementing these practices, you will develop your unique skill set and learn how to better serve your community. Get your mind right. And enjoy this time designed just for you. Brooke Nye, the science gal. Brooke, 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 Brooke. I mean, technically not by trade, yes. nor profession, nor anything other than... Uh, in my book, you're on Bill Nye's level, but you love Jesus too, so... Yes. Get it, uh, we still love you, Bill. Yes. Jesus love you too. <laughs> okay, so today's episode 60. We are in the interviews portion of our mini series of Switch on Your Brain by Dr. Carolyn Leaf. We love the interview section. I know a lot of our listeners do too. And we have today on the show the Kelly Smith. Woo! The crowd goes wild. <laughs> Y'all, if you don't know <laughs> Kelly Smith, she's like hometown hero (laughs) in the in the dfw area if you are an educator you know kelly smith's name you've probably either heard her name seen her face laughed at her jokes it could it could be a number of things every time i go to a kelly smith session i always either even if you tell the same story a million times it's still funny every time you tell it it is (laughs) kelly smith say hi to everybody Oh, hello, everybody. I'm just like, my heart is just fluttering. I'm so excited to be here and and y'all just honor me for asking me. And you also just humbled me because uh, anyway, thank you for asking. And you're right. I tell stories and my own family says, you tell one more story about me. I'm going to need some royalties. I'm going to need some cash. And so I'm just honored to be here. And I hope that whatever I say tonight, it touches at least one person. It usually does. I usually hear back. And that's why I like to share information and uh, as much as I can, and especially from the perspective of a mother who's raised a couple of snickerdoodles. I always uh, call the kids I work with that have a little bit of challenging behaviors, no matter what age they are, uh, snickerdoodles, because uh, that's my favorite cookie in the whole wide world. And uh, I could eat those all day long. So uh, the kids I work with usually say, I am not a cookie. And I go, I mean, that is a compliment. I just love snickerdoodles. So anyway, I'm very happy to be here tonight. Thank you so much. I love it. And I also love what sets you apart than other people who educate about behavioral stuff or SEL, which is social emotional learning. We'll throw that acronym later in here if you hear SEL, but you are so good at storytelling and the way that you come up with a story that helps the audience remember how to do that thing with that stuff. (laughs) Well, and I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to have to give credit to my kids for that because uh, you know what? It's easy to tell a story when you live through it. And my kids uh, basically have humbled me. They're all grown now and I'm not in jail. So that's good. And I've had kids that have that have made me cry, made me weep, made me pray. And uh, so those stories come from real life. And uh, they always say I'd, I exaggerate, but I always say there was no exaggeration needed. <laughs> so, yes. I think what makes you very effective is your stories are relatable. Um, while some of us would cringe if somebody knew kind of our experiences we've had, 
you're up there being completely vulnerable for the sake of getting a point across or teaching and modeling what you preach on. Um, but when you share those stories, I think so many people are like, oh my gosh, that's happened to me or my so-and-so. And so just being relatable, I think is one reason that um, we love you so much. <laughs> oh, well, thank you for that. And you know what? I try to do that because when uh, my husband and I, and a lot everybody who, who's been to a session of mine, my husband has ADHD. And so I knew that when I was dating him and I was like going, oh, I'm not sure if I'm ready for this roller coaster. And, uh, and we have five children and we have a blended family. So I was an instant mom. And uh, I realized, I thought I had it down. You know, background, my experience, my education and working as a behavior specialist. I thought, oh yeah, bring it on. And then I was humbled because when I had my youngest, Travis, whew, he made up for all the knowledge that I thought I had. And, and I, it was too many nights that I was crying and I was just going, if I feel this way, I know there's another mom out there. And I thought, you know what? Maybe one of the purpose of me having my, my little snickerdoodle is to maybe, maybe share those stories and give comfort and hope to other families. And, and I've heard from them and it makes me, it humbles me for them to share their stories with me. And then I learn from them. So yeah, thank you for that. I love that Kelly. And something we talk about on the show a lot is if you've been given a roadmap. So again, if God has put something in your path to learn a skill set or to do something, and then you go do nothing with that other than help yourself, then we've kind of missed it there. So I love that, like you were saying, Farron, Kelly gets up on stage in front of strangers and speaks from a vulnerable, vulnerable position, and it's for the purpose of helping them. So I love how you're humble enough to just put it out there, and you're doing something that's healthy vulnerability, healthy boundaries, so again, guys, we have that mini series on vulnerability. If you want to check it out, episodes 28 through 38, that's over Brene Brown's book. Yeah. The phrase we like to use is that your battles will one day be someone else's roadmap. So, you know, take, love that. Yeah. Taking on those challenges, working through them, and then, you know, taking that knowledge and experience to help someone coming up behind you. Love it. So okay. for people that maybe aren't as familiar with you, which poor them. <laughs> Can you tell them a little bit about um, your background and your experience and training in um, the mental aspects and behavior aspects of human beings? <laughs> I would, I, I would love that because you know what? I have to go to a lot of continuing ed um, lectures and classes and, 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 and things like that. And I love that because I'm always reading, always learning, but I always want to know who I'm listening into. So especially cause you're probably going to have somebody going, okay, well, okay. So we know she's a mom. She not, she has a snickerdoodle. Um, so let me just, I'll give you a real brief rundown on that because I'm at, I, I'm off the, I'm at the tail end of one particular career and then probably I'm going to be doing some lots of volunteer work and everything when I retire. But way back in 1982. So a lot of your listeners are going 82. Oh my, <laughs> did they have cars? Uh, so anyway, so way back in 1982, I uh, graduated from Texas Tech with a degree in psychology and I went on to get a master's degree in clinical psychology. And I've worked for the state of Texas in all kinds of areas. I worked for the Texas Department of Human Services. I worked for group homes. I worked for, um, oh my goodness, I worked just a little bit of everywhere. I worked for a behavior unit that I helped open up that actually went to did, did home visits to help kids stay in the home instead of being put in a group home or in a state-run facility. So I've done a lot of that. And in the last 25 years... Uh, when I got married to my husband, who has ADHD, and he had, he had instant um, 
I had an instant family, two teenage daughters that were full custody with uh, their dad. So at the ripe old age of 28, I was a mom of teenagers. And so that was my first thing of like, wow. Okay. And then uh, as we got them up and out of the house, we had three children together, my husband and I. And uh, I realized I needed to have a job that was more easy to work with kids because working for the state, it was, um, the, the hours were different and I traveled a lot and there was a lot of weekend work. And so 25 years ago, Mesquite ISD hired me as their behavior specialist and the rest, as they say, is history. I love working for the district. I work for, with pre-Ks to seniors and I work for, with them with emotional problems, behavior problems, work with parents, teachers, uh, the kids themselves, which I love. And it's all about um, social skills training and, and getting them to be able to learn and to be happy at school. And um, it's, it's, it's been probably the, the absolute best job I've ever had. And that's saying a lot because I pretty much have loved all my jobs. And uh, so I'm just finished year 38. And uh, to be honest, I, I really want to make 40. Um, and I've had a, a few... Well, if you, the last year and a half, I've, I've, I've had a health issue that's really kind of talk about, I love what you said about clearing the pathway for other people, because this is, this last year and a half has been a challenge health-wise, and uh, I don't mind saying I'm battling cancer, and that's a whole new layer of, of um, one of my new favorite scriptures, because I'm definitely a woman of faith, is faith over fear. And so I've just really had to dive into some of my faith reserves on that and just say, okay, this is a new experience. What am I going to learn from it and how am I going get, to get through it? Having said that, I'm a big coward. And so there's been lots of tears, <laughs> lots and lots of tears. Um, and I love to read and I love to do things. And that's why the first thing when you asked me to come on the podcast, you said, well, you don't have to read the book. And I said, oh, but can I read the book? Because <laughs> I love to branch out and, and read. So um, I always tell people when I present, oh, I guess I should say this. So we have, um, we have all girls except for Travis, and Travis was born in 1995. And around 98, when he was about three years old, I realized he was different. Strong-willed, defiant, temper tantrums, public and private, and lots and lots of cries from me. I mean, just tears going, I don't know what I'm going to do with this kid. And um, God placed in my past, uh, truthfully, Mesquite ISC sent me to a Love and Logic workshop. And that changed my entire life. Uh, in 1998, I went to my first Love and Logic presentation. I started working with um, uh, teachers with Love and Logic and the rest. I mean, I, I presented everywhere. I love it. It's, it's saved um, me as a parent. It helped me raise Travis. And then I discovered that Love and Logic was for all ages. And it really helped my marriage a lot, a lot. In fact, my whole family would, they tease and call it L&L because I use it so often. And so I use it at home and I use it at school every single day. And now my youngest daughter, she moved in with us with her three-year-old son. And I've got a new generation I'm using it on because now I can say that Love and Logic works as a grandparent too. And my little three-year-old grandson, I love him so much. Um, but I think he's a future snickerdoodle. <laughs> so I'm pulling out the love and logic for him too. And so I do a lot of love and logic presentations. Can you just give us, for people who haven't read the book, we actually, that was one of our books we had to read in one of our education courses when we were at Austin College. And I've been using it ever since mm -hmm. on every human ever. 
But yes. for people who haven't read the book or aren't quite sure what it is, can you just give us a, a brief little synopsis? I will give everybody just a real quick overview of Love and Logic because it really ties into your book too. Because when I was reading the book, I was marking through going, this is Love and Logic. This is Love and Logic. This is Mindset Choices. I mean, it really has some overlap. So Love and Logic basically says that there's only three rules and that's pretty cool. You don't have to remember a lot. The first rule, which goes along right with this book, is we're going to take care of ourselves. We're going to take care of ourselves. If we're not taking care of ourselves, we can't take care of any other problem in front of us. So we can't take care of the, the three-year-old having a fit, the teenager that's saying whatever and rolling their eyes again, mm-hmm. or the high school kid who's saying, I don't need you. I'm, under, I'm almost adult. I'm legal. We heard that in my house all the time. I'm 17. I'm legal in the state of Texas. And I kept thinking, well, maybe we should move to another state. Uh, but anyway, so anyway, Love and Logic says take care of yourself. And so what that means is everything you do, all the interactions that you do, which goes along with the book that, that you're all reading, says, is this just where you want to be going? Is this a positive direction? Are you, uh, the book mentions being toxic, you know, your toxic thoughts. Love and Logic says, are you being positive? And self-caring yourself so you can deal with the problem. So it, 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 Love and Logic always says, when you yell, what happens to your blood pressure? It goes up. Uh, when, you, when you nag and you lecture and you remind, your stomach gets upset, you get exhausted. You, it's a whole body thing. So Love and Logic says that they want you to take care of yourself. And, and that's the first rule. So they're going to give you something to do besides yelling. I love. They're going to give you something to do instead of reminding and nagging. And I love that too. And they're going to tell you to smile a lot. And I love to smile. And it can be any kind of smile. My kids call it the creepy smile because they know the smile means not going to argue with you, not going to get into this power struggle with you. And it sends a signal. And it also washes your brains with, brain with endorphins. So it makes you feel better, even though you're probably not really feeling better. But when you smile, your brain goes, oh, well, it must not be as bad as I think it is. So Love and Logic says take care of yourself. And then the second rule of Love and Logic is we're going to share control by giving choices. So we don't have to be the drill sergeant type of parent that barks orders. We don't have to be the helicopter parent that's always rescuing from mistakes. We're going to basically be a consultant and say, here are some of your options. If you're interested to hear what might happen, I'll be glad to tell you that. If not, Good luck to you, and uh, I'm here if you need me, and I'll check in with you later, or you can come to me. So sharing control by giving choices is the second rule, and then the third rule is the toughest rule, because whatever type of parent you are, um, you've got to kind of judge yourself, because the third rule is once the kid has made the choice, you have to let the consequence teach the lesson, and that's tough. And so Jim Fay, who's one of the founding fathers of Love and Logic, he always asks this question. When do you want kids to make a lot of mistakes? And the answer is when they're little. Because when they're little, they're usually not life-threatening. So you want them to have a lot of choices uh, that they're making when they're little. So when they get to be teenagers, they're going to be asking this question in their mind. Is this good for me before they do something? In other words, you want to help them transform from, I'm only doing this because my mom and dad made me, to the question, would this be good for me? And when they start to make those choices for themselves, the littler they are, um, they become really great problem solvers. And that's what you want. You want a good problem solver. 
And I know later on we're going to be talking about growth mindset and social emotional learning. What, that builds resilience, okay? And I have seen it in my own life and I've seen it with my own kids and I've seen it with the kids I work with. The more we can help them be really great problem solvers, the more resilient they're going to be because they know that whatever happens, they have other options and they don't have to be um, so where they go into shutdown mode or they don't know what to do and they get overwhelmed because things don't go the way that they thought it was going to go. So the three rules are you take care of you, um, you share control, you let consequences teach the lesson and not us, and you guide the children to become more responsible and better problem solvers. They have a free website. They have a free newsletter that you can subscribe to and they'll send you something once a month. I love that. So we're in the book, Switch on Your Brain, and her theme is the key to peak happiness, thinking, and health. So in general, when you're putting on your switch on your brain hat, trying to figure out, okay, these are actual choices I can make. I can decide if I'm going to, even if it's a fake smile, like you were saying, fake smile still tricks your brain. It's still going to release the healthy proteins. It's going to embed it in your brain. That's what we want to do. So what can we do to improve our mindset and behavior? Well, I'm going to tell you that there's, there's lots of things I teach the kids. And then when I have parent conferences, I teach the parents these too. One good, really self-care thing is when you're feeling overwhelmed, there's two really, and like, once again, it, the book was, I just love the book. I had a lot of aha moments when I was reading the book. One thing that you can do, because, you know, um, if you're, if, if any of your listeners are like me, sometimes when I was reading a book and I had a new idea and Travis was having a temper tantrum, I really just wanted to hit him with the book. You know, I just want to take the book and hit him with it. I was going, forget this. I have no time to read this and go through the 10 steps. I just want to take the book and hit him with it. I, it won't help his behavior, but it will make me feel better. So a lot of times, and by the way, I never hit him with a book. So uh, that was another thing. Uh, Love and logic, you know, there's no spanking in it. And believe me, a lot of times these kids really want, you really, oh my gosh, you, you do want to hit them. And uh, Love and logic does not promote that. And so uh, I, I was not much of a spanker before Love and Logic, but afterwards I never spanked my kids, but it didn't mean that I didn't think about it. But in the moment, this is what I tell um, the kids to practice at home and your parents can try it too, because it happens. We get frustrated. We're human beings. And especially if we get tired and we're not taking care of ourselves or our day has just been horrible. Um, I always tell the kids um, that have, um, regulation problems and that means like regulating your moods or regulating your temper two things you can do really quickly one is and if you have toddlers you may not want to do this for very long you know what I'm saying you might have to do it one eye but closing your eyes close your eyes just for a few seconds when you close your eyes that actually gives you a little time to reset okay before you say something or you do something now, I know if you have little kids, you do not want to close your eyes very long. Okay, but if you close your eyes, I tell kids to close their eyes in the classroom or close their eyes when they're at recess. If somebody is making them angry because it kind of resets your brain because you're not looking at the object that's making you upset. Along with that, and it sounds so corny and they've heard it over and over again, and that is your breathing. And I can teach kids very easily to take a real big deep breath and then let it out. And with kids, I'll tell them to imagine they're letting out a balloon or they're counting to five backwards. But for adults, we know how that is. We're just going to take that real big deep breath and let it out. 
Now, if, if your listeners are like my family, they're going to accuse you of sighing. Okay. I think God created the sigh to keep people alive. So I personally like the sigh, but when you are doing your deep breathing, if you don't want to be accused of sighing, just make sure it's a really big, deep breath and then let it out slowly. And you don't have to sigh with it. Does that make sense? So the, so closing your eyes and taking that deep breath, that immediately is going to basically send a message to your brain that you've got this. And I love the message of the book that we always think that the brain controls everything else, but that we are actually controlling our own brain. It goes along with some of the books I'm reading, which is saying the same thing, that we are basically we can change the hormones in our brain and in our neurological system and, and basically with positive thoughts. And of course me, I always get accused of being pretty Pollyannish, you know, like I'm always looking at the bright side. Um, I even told everybody last year when I was losing some weight and they were going, wow, you're losing weight. And I go, Hey, it's the cancer diet. It's looking, it's working pretty good. And they would just look at me and I go, it's okay. You can laugh. It's all right. You know? Uh, and so I always, it really does go along with my attitude of life because I have never run into a situation in which humor or trying to find a silver lining or uh, trying to find a lesson in it to be learned hasn't helped me. So I always tell the kid, like, if the kid is in, um, in school suspension and I'm talking to them and they're very upset and they're going, I just want to go back to class. Why do I have to be in here? And I go, well, wait a minute, before we talk about going to class, what are we, what are you learning from this? Nothing. I got in trouble. I'm up here again. I go, well, I understand that, but can we, is there something that we can take from this? Can we turn this negative into a positive? And the book does say that about, about mentioning, can we take something negative in the life and can we turn it around and say, are we learning something from it? Maybe it's a lesson we don't want to learn, you know, and a lot of times, especially if it involves pain or whatever, we don't want to learn it. Um, Also self-talk. Mm, self-talk it's you hear it all the time but I love the book for that reason too and there's a saying I kind of wrote this in the margins of the book um we believe what we tell ourselves so I'm just going to put that out there as a psychologist uh, and and one who, who you know who works with people I I have to tell myself that too we believe what we tell ourselves Okay. And I always tell people, I remember when I was in private practice, I would go, what would you tell your best friend if they were in a similar situation? And the words I would hear would be wonderful. And yet the person in front of me was really very hard on themselves. And um, so it's one thing I would always try to work with when I was working with people that would come in with that. And so in the moment when the toddler spills the milk for the 50th time or when the, the, the older kids get in the fight for the 50th time or they're fighting in the van again or the car again and you're just so tired of it, um, it's kind of like, what are you telling yourself right then? Are you saying that this is never going to end? Um, one of my favorite sayings I'm staring at right now, um, and it really helps me. And once again, it's kind of goes along with the book too. It's everything will be okay. Okay. So it says everything will be okay in the end. So if it's not okay, it's not the end. One of our preachers has recently said that too. It's God. Oh, I love it. All good things, all things good in the end. So if it's not good, it's not the end. It's so true because in the moment when I'm having one of those tough, when, when, when Travis was little, when I was having those tough moments where I go, I can't do this anymore, you know? And then I thought to myself, wait a minute, everything's going to be okay. This is not the end. This too shall pass. 
So I listen to a lot of different music. And one of my favorite songs, I'm, I don't even remember who sings it, so I know your listeners will. But there's a great song that says, you're going to miss these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I will tell you right now, my son, Travis, he's my snickerdoodle. He's 25 now. And I know it sounds weird, but I miss the days in which I was staying all day home Saturday with a huge temper tantrum for about five hours. I miss those moments because now when I get to see him, it's not as often. And I, I, it's hard to have perspective in the moment. So it's kind of like, we know these moments are precious and they're not always, you're going to be in another phase. And it's hard to remember that um, we, we need to try to, uh, uh, enjoy it while it happens, even the bad things, even the even when you lose your temper, even when you yell, even when they spill milk for the 50th time or they fight in the car. And, and once once you start applying the principles in, in the book you're reading and also some love and logic, you, you use a lot of humor. You use a lot of humor. And the humor really does switch your mindset. It really, it really does. It has a ripple effect. If your kids see you being more calm, and maybe doing that creepy smile, uh, they start changing things before. My kids used to say this. They, they start fighting, and I used this line so much with them that they would say, because this is what I would do when they would start to fight. This, this is from Love and Lodge. They'd start to fight, and I'd go, oh. And I would just say, oh. It's called the uh-oh song or oh song in Love and Lodge. And you just go, oh. And they heard that song, and they no, we know, we know. If we're going to fight. We're going to fight in the backyard. And I go, oh, you're right. And there they went. And I would sit on the couch and go, how did that work? Because if they'd heard it so much, they knew what the next sentence was going to be. So it was start out like, oh, I hear some fighting. It's really hurt my ears. So where does that need to go? You know, like, where, does, where, where do you need to go with that? And I'd said the whole thing so many times. It was almost like a broken record. So then I all had to say was, oh. And then they'd go, we know, we know, take it in the backyard. And there they went in the backyard. And by the way, Love and Logic says, don't worry about your neighbors because you know what? They're probably just really glad that it's not their kids fighting. So you just put them out in the backyard, make sure it's safe, you know. And uh, if you're nicer than me, you leave the door unlocked so that they can come back. Sometimes the lock got locked I accidentally. Say, I, have to, I, have, I know one science term from Switch on Your Brain, and that's the quantum Zeno effect. So that's the repetitive nature that helps yes new material so you were quanto xeno affecting them oh and i'm so impressed you're dropping all that because I, I was sitting there i was circling all those new terms because i was going okay so this is the milkshake multitasking syndrome and i was circling that and then that one too that that you know and had a nickname the mbd and i'm going okay i'm not going to remember all this but you're right it's the repetition and the repetition really 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 works and there's something else i know that question i'm answering a whole bunch with that one question here's another thing sometimes we even if you don't have a full-blown panic attack sometimes with parents or relationships you just feel so overwhelmed and you're going you know, kind of almost get that deer in the headlight look, or you just like going, I can't even move at this point. So this is not from me. It's not from Love and Logic, but um, it's something that you can do and your listeners can do really. And we teach this to kids that we work with. And when you start to feel really overwhelmed or you're, you're feeling a little panicked or whatever, it's called the five, four, three, two, one. Okay. So that's pretty easy to remember five, four, three, two, one. And so I'm going to slow it down so that they can kind of, you know, absorb it a little bit but when you're starting to feel overwhelmed you start with five 
And so you, you, you name inside, inside or out loud, out loud, whichever works best for you. You name five things that you can see. So like if I was using it right now, I'd go, okay, I see my cat. I see the TV. I see my bookcase. I see my Texas tech bag and I see my pillow. So you name five things. Then you go to four, four things that you can feel. Well, right now I can feel my Fitbit. I can feel my glasses. I can feel my, my uh, earrings, which by the way, were very hard to put on because I haven't worn them in three months. Um, but anyway, so, uh, uh, you know, I feel my, I feel my clothing. I can feel my skin. So you name, you name four things that you can feel. Okay. And it can be either on you or just that you can feel normally. And then you go to three. What can you hear? Well, right now I hear my fan. I hear my husband in the other room yelling at the dogs. Uh, I hear my cat making little noises. Okay. And then two things that you can smell. Well, right now, thank goodness, I can smell peppermint because I put some peppermint on. And I really, I'm going to have to sniff on that one. I can't really smell anything else right now. Okay. <laughs> so even that's okay. And then the last one is you have to say something positive about yourself. So one thing I would say right now is my nerves have gone away. I feel so much better now because I was so scared in the beginning. <laughs> so yeah, I know. Yay. And so, so that's called the five, four, three, two, one method. And it works really good with anxiety. It also works if you start to get panicked. I would tell you, your listeners could even adapt it to when they're about to just say something that may not be really nice. Um, I do that a lot with my ADHD husband. I just think, and it's internal. I just, they'll say something, I'll look at him and I'll go five, four, three, two, one. And then I'll just go through it. And even if you don't need to go through all of it, by the time you get to one, because usually with my husband, the positive thought is, hmm, I'm still with you after 30 years. That's a really positive thing. I have done a very good job. Okay. But it kind of calms and soothes your brain. And that gets you into that mindset of where we want to be, that this, this is going to be okay. I have, I have, um, uh, I've gone through worse, you know, and I can get through this. And a lot of times I tell parents, especially uh, with teenagers, um, they have survived worse than the teenage attitude, you know, depending on their own life. We all have something that we've overcome. And in that moment, we seem to forget that. And we think that this is the worst thing that could ever happen. And I remember when Travis sometimes would tell me he hated me and it would just break my heart. And then I would go, wait a minute. He's saying he hates me because right now he's dysregulated. Okay. And it's a fancy word of just saying he's not in his right mind. And so I have to stay grounded so that I can help him. Um, the social emotional learning people, they have a website too that your listeners can go to. And it's really, it's just full of so many good things. And they say this, a dysregulated adult cannot help a dysregulated child. Yeah, I like to say you can't rationalize with an irrational person. So kind of the flip of that. So toddlers, but it's, you're irrational. You can't in that moment try to rationalize with them. They want the fruit snacks. <laughs> you can't eat the balloon. That's yes, not good. Exactly. I will tell your listeners this, if they have teenagers, uh, this is one of my favorite responses to the eye roll, you know, the famous eye roll, like, mm, you know, I, uh, Love and Logic says to say this, hey, so you say it with either a confused look on your face or just kind of like, mm, you know, like a questioning look. You go, hey, I've always wondered, can you see your, uh, can you see your brain when you do that? It totally shocks them because they just look at you and they go, what? 
well, I was wondering with that eye roll, can you, can you see your brain? And, and it just stops them. And then they don't want to do it anymore because they know you're going to say it again. And you don't say it sarcastically. You don't say it mean. You just say it like I said it. Like, hey, I was always wondering, um, hmm, can you see your brain when you do that? I did that with the teenagers. And by the way, the younger kids knew that I did it with the older kids. And it still worked with them. They go, don't you say about the brain? And I would go, hmm. Well, I just was wondering, can you see your brain when you do that? And you actually change their behavior because they don't want to hear it anymore. Does that make sense? Yeah, they're looking for their prefrontal cortex, but it's underdeveloped, so it's not there. They can't find it. (laughs) No, and you know what? I'm so glad you mentioned the prefrontal cortex because I will tell you something that um, Love and Logic talks about this too. Um, When your kid of any age when they get to that primal brain back here, you know, that fight and flight where they're not thinking and they're not in their executive functioning, they're not in the prefrontal, the easiest way to get the brain to go from the primal to this executive functioning, and I use this all the time, this is a love and logic technique. So they have gone, they, they're, they're, they're back here. There's no, there's no thinking. There's no rationalization. There's nothing. How you can invite that brain back here to executive functioning is to ask a question any question. When you ask the question, then the brain has to move from the primal up here. And so when I work with kids that are going, you know, bananas or, you know, they're having a temper tantrum at school, um, they'll call me out and maybe they've torn up the classroom or whatever. And the first question I ask is when I open the door and go in, because a lot of times I don't know the kid yet. I mean, I, I will know the kid after this experience, but the first time I don't know them. And I come in and they usually say something like, not a nice word are you and I'll go well who are you so I just ask the question I already know who they are I mean because they've already told me who this is and the kid and the grade and all that and I go who are you and they go not telling you and I go well where can I stand and they go and they look at me because they have to pause and they go uh out in the hallway I go well where can I stand in the room and then they go there and I go okay and I go so I ask questions and, and and they're still yelling but the more you can ask questions they have to move from this part of the brain to prefrontal and by the way that works with adults too so when my husband gets really mad I'll say what can I do right now to help you and he goes nothing and I go well where would would you like me to sit or stand I don't care where would you like to sit or stand I don't care and then by the time I ask him about four questions he's rational enough to start talking about what's going on does that make sense so I'm glad you mentioned the prefrontal because that is really brain chemistry. If we can get it from that uh, primal brain, which is the fight, flight, you know, faint or, you know, avoid, if we can get it here where it's actually thinking more, um, then you're going to have a better interaction with whoever it is. So you mentioned, so how can we improve our own mindset and behavior? How do you get yourself, de-escalate yourself? So you mentioned the deep breaths, processing through your five, four, three, two, one technique. We also touched on improving others' behavior with your, you just gave great examples right there. So if we had to walk away, let's do three of each. So if you had to walk away with three tactics on getting your own mind right, what would they be? If you had to boil it down to the top three, what would be the top three things someone could walk away with right now to improve their mindset, therefore improve their behavior? Practice patience with yourself. Practice patience with yourself. There is no one. I love what y'all both said earlier. One thing I've learned in all my years being on this planet is there's not one path to where we all want to go. 
I'm going to get a little emotional. We're all going home. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're all going home. This is a temporary place. Mm-hmm. We're all going home. It's the same journey in that we're all going home, but there's so paths to get there. And there's so many branches and there's so many sidebars and there's so many um, ways to get there that I think we need to practice patience with ourselves more because we're harder on ourselves, especially if we have kids involved or our relationships. We're so hard on ourselves that we wouldn't be that way with our best friend. And we know that God is patient with us because he gives us chance after chance after chance. So one thing that I always tell parents when I'm working with them, because sometimes behavior problems, they're not going to go away in six weeks. They're not going to go away in a month. Jim Fay, and it kind of goes back to love and logic. Jim Fay says this, for every, for every year that the behavior has been in existence, it's going to take at least a month to get it to improve. So if you have a three-year-old that's been throwing fits since they were one, that's going to take two months of consistency before it starts to improve. So some of these behaviors may take years. So we have to practice patience with ourselves. You're going to blow it. You're going to have really horrible days. One of my favorite books is Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. We're going to have those. I wish I could tell you you and your listeners that after 38 years of doing this, that I never have a moment in which love and logic goes out the window. I can't say that. In fact, my kids sometimes would say when I'd start having that ranting and raving and yelling and screaming, they go, go get our love and logic book. And I go, it's not going to help. Don't bring the book. I don't need the book. I'm not going to have the book. In fact, I'm going to throw the book if you bring it to me. And they go, well, that's not love and logic. And I go, oh, yeah, well, this is what you wanted. The yelling, screaming, ranting, raving. So we have to be patient with ourselves. This is a marathon. This is not a sprint. And so you're going to have some days in which you cry yourself to sleep. And guess what? I always tell everybody, we have tear ducts for a reason. It's not just to keep our eyes clean. It's for an emotional release. So when you have the bad days, you have the bad days. You go to bed, pamper yourself a little bit, start it again tomorrow. You get a fresh day. You wake up, you get a fresh day. You get a fresh start. The second thing to do when you're feeling a little bit down and out and you just feel like you can't do anything else Do one act, one act of service, one act of service to another human being. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter if you give somebody on the corner a dollar bill. It doesn't matter if you text somebody. It doesn't matter if you call somebody, if you do a thank you note, if you just one act of service. You may never even get a thank you. By doing an act of service, that's going to lead to my third thing, and that is gratitude. When you do an act of service, it makes you feel grateful. And when you feel grateful, your brain absolutely turns on and lights up. And we know that people who serve feel grateful and the gratitude circles back around. Because at the end of the day, I will tell you right now, there is always something to be grateful for. Always something to be grateful for. And when you feel grateful, you feel better. And your brain feels better. And that's why I love this book because it talks about that. When you turn your brain on, when you switch your brain on, you could list a million things that are going maybe wrong in your life. But if you remember the one thing that's going right, it's going to change your brain. And if you, if that, like I said, the service always leads to gratitude. Last night I felt very, very prompted 
And I really believe in that. I really believe what she said in the book too about we're all connected. We are. We get these feelings and promptings. Those are not accidents. I had a friend that she slipped and hurt her knee and she's been bedridden for the last two weeks. And I, I've been texting her off and on, you know, just to see how she's doing. But last night at almost, till, it was almost 10 o'clock and I had a strong, overwhelming feeling that I should call her, call her. I haven't even called her through the whole thing. She's a teacher in the district. And I go, oh man, it's too late to call. It's like 10 o'clock. Oh no. And so I started just to ignore it. And there it was again. You need to call her. Oh, really? This is going to be so, oh my, I don't even know if I can do that. And then as I picked up to, to call her, I accidentally hit the FaceTime thing. So now it's even worse because I'm in my pajamas. Okay. Yes. So now I'm FaceTiming the woman. Okay. Never FaceTiming the woman ever. So now I'm FaceTiming the woman. And so I try to turn it off. But she picks up and she she looks at me and she goes, Kelly, is that you? And I go, yes, I'm so sorry. I meant to just call. I'm so sorry. I'm, you know. And, she, and then she looks at me and she gets tears in her eyes. Oh, no, now I made her cry. And then she looks at me and she goes, how did you know that I was just laying here thinking, having a pity party, and I just didn't know if I could get through the night tonight? And I went, what the? And I go, I'm here. Let's talk. And we had a great conversation. She got off laughing. I got off laughing. And I told her, I said, you just made my whole evening. I'm going to sleep really well. And she said, no, you made mine. I go, we made each other. Go to sleep. And so this afternoon, she texted me and she goes, I don't know what made you call me, but it sure did make my day. And I go, I don't, I said, it was just an overwhelming, you know, feeling. But I'll tell you, I know did that. That was a God thing. God puts us in the path of others when we need it. And it's through, you know, like practicing patience, serving others, and then being grateful. And then it just circles around. I love that because the more attuned you are to what God is trying to say to you, the easier it is to recognize it because you're putting your, it's your reticular activating system. It's going to put it in the forefront. I love that. So I love the patience, the service and the gratitude. So that's obviously going to get your mind right. So let's say our friend, our friend could be our toddler. Our friend could be our student. Our friend could be our spouse, (laughs) our little snickerdoodle. How can we, what are some quick three things maybe that we could do to help get their mind right? Oh, this is, I was so glad you were going to ask that one because when I saw it, I was going, so guess what? Love and logic has answers for everything. I'm just telling you it does. And that's another reason I love it because with the parenting book or the parenting CD, they're going to go through scenarios, which is really good. And you could even like email them or call them and do specifics and they'll help you out. Well, Love and Logic has a technique called guiding children to solve their own problems. And actually, I use it on adults. And it's, 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 uh, I love that Brooke said three steps. There's four steps to it. You don't have to be a therapist. You don't have to be a counselor to do it. And once you start using it, you'll just want to use it over and over again. And you can use it with probably, Love and Logic is going to tell you 18 months on, I find this technique I use about from three years old and on, and then all the way, all the way up. So you notice a problem, or maybe the kid is melting down. You're not going to use this technique, which I'm going to back up just a little bit. If a person is in full-blown meltdown, that's when we have to help them calm down before we do anything. Okay, we cannot solve a problem within the problem. And that's what we rush to do. We want that temper tantrum to stop in Walmart. We want that uh, back talk to to stop when our friend, we're talking to our friend at the grocery store. That is not going to be the time to basically 
stop it, okay? Because what we know doesn't work is to tell a three-year-old not to have a fit, okay? So you're going to have to get that brain regulated. That's why I mentioned about asking questions, staying calm yourself, using some humor. Sometimes I, I crack kids up. So here's how we do it, okay? When you notice a child is doing something that you don't want to repeat it, or the child comes to you with a problem, or a teenager, or an adult, anything, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to show empathy, and how you show empathy simply is, what can I do to support you? Or, or what, you know, where are we, you take them where they're at. The first question you're going to ask is, what do you think you're going to do about this? So you're going to move it from us to them. And that's going to probably surprise them. Because a lot of times, like I just did that when I started explaining it, it's just so natural for me. We want to say, what are we going to do about the problem? It's not a we problem. Does that make sense? So when a kid is having a temper tantrum, not doing homework, not doing chores, not coming in on curfew, right? That really isn't our problem. It's their problem. So love and logic says we need to put the problem back on them in a very loving way by asking the first question. So that's the first step. What do you think you're going to do? You're going to do about the situation. And you're just going to say it the way I'm saying it. So there's no judgment. There's no sarcasm. There's no put down. So you need to be calm yourself. So you need to make sure you're ready to have that conversation, right? If the kid says, well, first of all, the kid's probably going to say, I don't know. I don't know. So you move to step two. You're going to say, you're going to ask them, well, would you like to hear what some other kids have done in that situation? Okay. You don't want to say what you've done because if you're over the age of 18, they don't think you know anything. Okay. You're, you're, you're old, you're out of it. They, you don't know anything. Okay. So you want to say, and so if it's an adult, if you're talking to a young adult, you want to say, would you like to hear what some other young adults have done in that situation? Okay. So you're, once again, you're putting it out there that you've heard some ideas and they could all be your ideas, but you've heard some ideas. You'd love to share them with them, but you don't, unless you ask permission. Okay. So now they have two choices. They can tell you no, and then you need to stop. You just need to stop. And you can say a closure thing like, well, I'm here for you. If you would like to hear some other ideas, I do need to give you some information. That's a real famous love and logic. Uh, one little um, sentence that we use a lot, which is, may I give you some information and you tell them what's going to happen. So if it's a teenager breaking curfew, you're going to say, Hey, um, what do you think you're going to do about uh, being late on curfew every Saturday night? I don't know. And I don't care. Well, would you like to hear what some other kids have done? No. Okay. Well, I'd, okay. Well, good night. I just thought I'd let you know though. Let me give you some information. When you're late and you break curfew, these things will happen in the house. This is what, these are going to be the consequences. Well, I don't care. Okay. Well, thank you for telling me that. And so tomorrow these things will happen. And then you walk away, the kid walks away and you're taking care of you. Almost always, I'm not going to say hundred percent, but almost always the kids I work with or my own kids would say, yeah, what do other kids do now? So those are the first two steps. You ask if they, uh, what they're going to do about it. You ask if you can share some ideas. The third step is you're going to give an idea and then you're going to ask them how they, how that would work out for them. But you don't start out with your best idea because we're going to basically push away that best, best idea first. If you remember the last time that a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a friend or a family member asked your advice and you gave some really great advice, the first thing that human nature is, is that we say, no, that wouldn't work for me. So love and logic acknowledges that. So you're going to lead off with your worst idea first that you can live with. 
Okay. And then you're going to ask the kid how that would work. So you'd say, Hey, so some kids, they just keep breaking curfew and getting in trouble with their parents. How would that work for you? And the kid looks at you and goes, that's what I'm doing now. And you go, Oh yeah, it is. Well, how, how does that work for you? How does it work for you to get in trouble every time? And then the kid's usually going to say, well, I don't like it. Okay. So we don't like that idea. You don't like that idea. No, I don't like that idea. So we push that aside and we go, well, some kids, they come in a few minutes early. They just tell their friends they have to come in a few minutes early. So they make sure they're on time and they set their, um, their, their smartphone or their, um, you know, their Fitbit watch or whatever to, to get home a little bit early. How would that work for you? Well, I could try that. That sounds pretty good. Well, would you like to try that next week? Yeah, I think I will. Can we meet in about a week and a half to see how that went and problem solve with that if it didn't? Well, sure. Okay, good. Good night. There it is. Right? So you try to come up with an idea that they like. They have to agree to it. If they, if they say, hey, how about if I did this instead and you like it, you agree to it. And then the fourth step is good luck to you. And I'm going to check in on you and see how it's going. If you want to change it or have any questions, feel free to come to talk to me and we'll talk about it. You go back and forth that way. Pretty soon they're problem solving on their own, you know, because they're, they're thinking it through going, okay, I have a problem. I need to do this. Now that's if you notice the problem, but if the kid comes to you and says, um, I'm trying to think of one, that, a real common one. Oh, I hear this a lot at school. I don't have any friends. Nobody plays with me at recess. You can use the same thing. Well, what do you think you're going to do about that? I don't know. That's why I'm coming to you. Well, would you like to hear what some other kids have done? And then you go through the process. So it's either you notice the problem or they notice the problem. Let me show you the power of this. Um, when I married my husband, I never thought I never thought to ask about speeding tickets. Okay. I feel in love. We're getting married. Okay. So the reason I don't ever get a speeding ticket is because I'm the one that you hate on the freeway because I'm in the right lane going to speed limit. So you're probably hating me, but I don't, I don't speed. So I don't get speeding tickets. So I just naturally thought that everybody was like me, you know, no one's speeding. Nobody's getting tickets. So I never asked my husband about his speeding tickets. Well, when we got married, we changed our insurance over to mine. Okay. It ended up getting canceled less than six months because my husband, um, he likes to speak. He likes to blame it on the ADHD, but he likes to speak. He had a lawyer on retainer to take care of speeding tickets. I never, I never knew you could do that. Okay. So in our first few years of marriage, this was a big problem because our insurance got canceled. He was having to pay a lawyer. He was, our insurance rates were going up and we had to pay the tickets, which is two to $300. And we had a young family. And I was like, well, what is going on with you? So I did all the traditional ways. I fussed that in. I did all this and all that. None of it was working. It didn't. So flash forward. Okay. We got married in 1989. So in 1998, I discovered love and logic. So 10 years of this, nothing was working. Okay. And we had a family budget and all this and it with the big fights and everything. So I've been teaching love and logic a little bit. And I said, I wonder if I could do this on a grown man, this guiding children to solve your own problems. And I thought, well, it's not going to hurt him. So I took him out to his favorite restaurant. So we're sitting down and I had to catch him in between tickets, which is really hard. Okay. Because you got to catch him in between the behavior. So we're sitting eating barbecue. He's eating barbecue. And I go, Hey, I just thought, um, I was wondering, what are you going to do about getting all these tickets? It's really, wow, it's really hurting the family budget. What do you think you're going to do about that? And he goes, I don't know. And I said, well, here, have some more potato salad. Have some more ribs, you know. And I go, well, would you like to hear about what other people have done when they get a lot of tickets? Well, sure, because he's happy. I'm not yelling at him. I'm not nagging at him. And I already had this plan. 
Okay, I already had a plan. I go, well, some people just keep on getting tickets and then their wives get really, really angry at them. And then there's a lot of consequences at home. And he looked at me, he goes, well, that's what's happening right now. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. And, and how do you like that? He goes, well, I hate it. And I go, yeah, I, I do too. I don't, I, I don't really like it either. It's not really good. And I go, uh, so that idea, we don't, you don't really like that idea, do you? And he goes, no, I hate that idea. I said, okay. So we threw that out. I already had the other ideas, right? You want to prep yourself. I said, well, what about this? What about every ticket? We both had little hobby funds at the beginning of the year. You know, you just put like, like I was scrapbooking. So I had a little scrapbooking fund and he liked to scuba dive. So he had a little scuba diving fund, you know, and we put it in in January. We'd use it all year long. So then I said this, I go, well, what about this? What about for this year? Every ticket that you get, you pay out of your hobby fund. And every ticket I get, I pay out of my hobby fund. And we don't take tickets out of the family budget anymore. And he goes, I like that idea. I like that idea too. See, he's not really thinking about it because he hadn't got a ticket. So y'all know what happened. The first time he got a ticket, he said, pay this out of the family budget. And I went, oh, no, I didn't nag him. I just went... Oh, because Love and Logic believes you show a little empathy, right? Oh, but remember, we have a new plan. So that's going to come out of your scuba diving fund. What? No, I'm going to Lake Travis and with the guys, and I need that money. And I go, well, I guess you, know, you took it to go to Cozumel at the end of the year. So I guess you'll just have to skip this one Lake Travis one. You still have another one. You know, I'm being really empathetic. And he goes, no, you write a check out of the family account. I go, oh, but see, we agreed. Remember, you know, about three weeks ago? And he goes, well, I don't like that plan anymore. I go, no, I know it's kind of tough. It really is. But remember, any ticket I get, I'll take out of my scrapbooking. Any ticket you get, you take out of this. Okay, so he paid the ticket. Wasn't happy about it. Wasn't happy about it. About two months later, another ticket. Bottom line, that, that year, no scuba diving trip. No scuba diving trip, okay? So, and then I was kind of mean, so Love and Logic probably wouldn't agree with this, but Every time I would go scrapbooking, I'd go, you have the kids tonight. I'm going scrapbooking. Love ya. Peace out, right? And he's going, wait. I go, no, 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 I'm gone. But you have fun, right? So that was the first year. Okay, the second year, true story. The second year, he got one ticket. Second year. Okay, this was back, back in, I want to say 2003, 2004. I really don't remember. This is 2020. Wow. <laughs> he doesn't get tickets anymore. No tickets. None. Okay. It wasn't really me. It was love and logic. It, it, when it started affecting him, when he had to think of ideas, he had to be more careful when it was impacting his life. Does that make sense? Life changer. If it's going to work on a grown man, right? A grown man with his own job, with some... This works on kids all the time. I'll ask kids this and they feel empowered because they go, this was my plan. I was going to do. It's kind of hard to disagree with your own plan. Is there any key points that we haven't gotten to or that, you know, in preparing for this interview, you wanted to be sure to get this message out to our audience? Well, there's one more thing that I really loved, uh, wanted to talk about. I'm glad you asked that. So here's the deal. One more little thing I wanted to hit. Um, and I actually stole this. I think I stole this from the SEL side, but I'm going to repeat it. It's worth, worth repeating. When you're faced with a challenging behavior and you're going to be faced with a challenging behavior, it could be your own challenging behavior or your, or your child or your 
um, significant other or somebody who lives in the house, first of all, quit taking it personally. Okay. Quit taking it. Give yourself a break. Quit taking it personally. I call that Q-tip. I stole that from somebody else too. You Q-tip it. Quit taking it personal. This really, it feels personal because it's our family, but quit taking it personally. And then to remember this, and, and in, in 38 years of working with people who have challenging behaviors, I've always believed this. I think this is why I love this so much. The second thing is behaviors are not the person. Behaviors are not the person. Okay. We all have those moments where our behavior just overwhelms us and we do something. That's not the person. So we need to separate the behavior from the person. Okay. And it's really hard in the moment, but behaviors are not the person. And then I did mention this. So that's why I wanted to kind of summarize too. You have to de-escalate the situation first and then problem solve. So that's the third one. You have to de-escalate that situation before you can get to problem solve. So sometimes at school, I may sit with a kid for three, four hours before we can actually problem solve. We may not even problem solve until the next day. Okay. De-escalate before you problem solve. Uh, and then the fourth one is there's always a reason for what is happening. So if we can kind of explore the reason, we can be better problem solvers. And then the last one is, is to have empathy. Remember your worst day that you ever had? This kid or this teenager or this adult is having a dysregulation moment. So we have to try to keep ourselves grounded so we can help them through. So have empathy for them. And that's where I think it rotates back to being patient with yourself. And then I want to end with this because I always talk to uh, teachers about this. Discipline with love and logic is what the program's called. And I love that. Discipline with love and logic. Discipline, which is taken, basically, it has a very strong religious, you know, connotation. Discipline means to teach. It's not punishment. And I love that because we can punish behaviors, but it's not teaching. And I truly believe that we need to be disciplining our children. We need to be disciplining ourselves and we need to be disciplining people around us and not punishing us, which is different. Discipline means to teach. And that's why I like the program that's called Discipline with Love and Logic. Those were really good points. Um, I did have a follow-up question. So when you talk about de-escalating, I think sometimes that comes more naturally or a parent might get lucky at figuring out how to de-escalate their child. If someone is at a loss, they know they need to calm them down, wait it out, but they either are not helping, fueling the fire, but they just, is there a way or like a few suggestions on different ways to de-escalate different kids? Because I'm guessing there's not one tactic that works necessarily for all. There isn't one. So guess what? And that you're exactly right. Oh, so smart. Y'all are so smart. I love y'all. Okay, here's the deal. You're exactly right. There's a million of different ways to de-escalate. And I always take it back from here, whether they're 18 months old and they're still learning verbal all the way up until they're, if they're in a nursing home and maybe they can't speak anymore. There's always, a, this is what I always recommend. When I go into a situation and I don't know a kid, the first thing I'm going to do, if, especially if the kid's out of control, you want to ask the person, what can I do to help you right now? Does that make sense? And just what can I do? And they may not be able to tell you. So then you just wait it out. You are going to be very quiet or you're going to try some things. Okay. And it may be if, if, if it's your own kid, then you may go get the lotion. Okay. Google play ocean sounds. So start to build your toolbox. What do you know about this person? 
Uh, I gave y'all a hint at the very beginning of this. I'm an essential oil girl. Okay. I love it. I don't sell it or anything, but I love it. And so when I feel myself getting really worked up, I'm going to be dabbing some lavender, right? Before I came on tonight, I was dabbing some peppermint. Okay. All right. So you kind of get to know your kids and you just keep a whole long list or running list. Is it a favorite stuffed animal? Is it with Travis? Believe it or not, he's a cat lover. So with Travis, I would grab one of our household cats and they'd go, nope. Like, okay, leave me alone. I'd grab him and go, Travis, here, have a cat. And the cat's going, okay, why did I get dragged to this? But then just putting the cat in his lap, yeah, putting the cat in his lap, and he started petting the cat or whatever, then he would like, right? And I would try different things. So you're exactly right. Never, one of my favorite movies is Galaxy Quest, and I love the comment in there. Never give up. So there's got to be some way that we didn't think about to de-escalate. So before this all happened, this virus and all this happened, I was working with a kid from August until March the 6th when we went out on spring break and we were still playing around. We still didn't know. Sometimes it was hit and miss. One thing that would work one week didn't work the next week. And, and so we were just, so what I'm saying is, yes, you're going to have to play around with it. Try to find something that you have noticed helps. It could be a sound. It could be a smell. It could be deep breathing. Some of my kids, one of my kids one time was having a fit in the, in the, in the room we were in and he was going, where's my, I'm not going to say the word he said, but he goes, where's my glitter bottle? I need that. And I go, I don't know where it is, but I carry one in my bag. Let me go get it. You know? And then it's the, they're going to give you clues to what helps them, whether it's deep breathing or sensory or whatever. You referenced this tactic and we talk about it too, is finding um, times of peace to have the conversations or look for the ideas. So would it be appropriate that when they're like in a, a peaceful state, the things that they enjoy during that peaceful time to look there and start yes. to implement those? Okay. I would. And I would ask them because, I, okay. So one thing I've always believed in, um, lifelong learning. And that's why, you know, I love the book because it talks about that too. And waking up all those, the brain that, that you have in there and, and switching it on. Um, one thing I'm trying um, this summer, which I've never done in all my life, is I'm really trying to do some meditation. I've never really done that. And so I've been trying to learn to meditate. And it's really hard for me because I'm, you know, I'm all over the place and I'm all active. And I noticed last week, no, it was two weeks ago. I was laying down and doing my, and I don't do it sitting up. It's more comfortable for me laying down. So I was laying down and suddenly I, I had my eyes closed. I had the, the music on, you know, the soothing music and I was doing what I was saying things. And so I was really kind of about halfway through and I got the sense that somebody was in the bed with me. Right. I mean, like, you know, I, could, I didn't feel it, but I could tell somebody's in the bed with me. Right. And I'm going, so I open up one eye. It's the three-year-old. And he's laying by me and he's got his eyes closed and he's got his little hands on his chest. And I'm like going, and I don't say anything. So I just shut my eye and I finish it. And I had about like six or seven minutes left, finished it. And when it was done, they do the bell, you know, mine does, it goes ding, you know, intro back, you know, and, and whatever it says, right. And open your eyes. So I was like, going, he's not, that's why I didn't feel him come in. Cause he's so light. I didn't feel him get on the bed. And so I opened up my eyes thinking he's already gone. He's right there. And He's opened his eyes, but he's still laying there because they say to, you know, to, to lay or sit for about a minute and just kind of, you know, and then he goes, and so I look at him and I go, what were you doing? And he goes, I'm learning how to meditate. And I just go, oh my gosh. So exactly right. If you notice things in that, um, what I'm hoping is we keep doing that and I can give him a trigger and say, try some deep breathing or try, you know, because 
And then at the end, because mine says, uh, um, and I'm going to mispronounce this, so I apologize, but it, say, it says uh, namaste, you know, and he said that. He's three years old. Yes, namaste. And he picked up on that. And so after that, I mean, he did, he had, he's, he didn't, he's never done it before. He hasn't done it afterwards. But a couple of days later, he came in, and I heard him tell my daughter, he goes, shh, Hannah's meditating. And she needs to concentrate, you know, so they, they're watching, they're doing that. And that's a great idea. Being in uh, education or being in the grocery store and overhearing comments or at church, some people will see someone melting down. And the, the answer to all life's problems is if the parent would just discipline them at home, then this wouldn't be happening. And so I think that's too, you mentioned earlier, being more gracious with yourself um, and, you know, giving yourself patience that like, we, we know that people might be thinking that, and we know that they don't realize that we've been trying everything under the sun, but what would you say to maybe a bystander to create that empathy and that understanding that for some kids, it's not as simple as you know, spankings, or they must just not have any discipline, or the parent must always give them what they want. What is something that you, have you had those conversations with people, um, and how do you approach that? Yes, let me tell you, uh, there's two things that hit me with that. Um, One, this was my business before I had Travis, and so I'd been doing it, see, Travis was born in 95, and I started in 82, so I had 13 years under my belt, and I was a little arrogant, you know, Mm -hmm. right, and I've been humbled by him. And, but just like Brick said at the beginning too, and I think you did too, um, I know that Travis has given to me to help others because I learned more from my own son than everything else I learned in my career. And I've learned that I get those looks and I realize they don't understand, but I understand because I have this type of child and also I help people with this type of child. And and now what I do, because they're all grown, right? If they're a bystander, then you can do exactly what we talked about here. And this is a service. If the child is melting down and you see the parent, you see that look on the face, especially if you've had that look on your face, I am on the lookout. And when I, and I don't go, if the parent seems like they're handling it, they're okay. They look good. I, I leave them alone. But if I see that look and I do this quite, at least probably once a month before the COVID thing hit, when I see that look at church or I see that look out, I go up to that mother and I say, what can I do to help? Okay. And a lot of times I'll say nothing. And then, you know what? I said, well, do you mind if I just stand here with you? And I'll just take a few moments and stand there with them and say, please let me know if I can do anything. If you need me to go get something or go call somebody or whatever, you let me know. I can even block this aisle for you, you know, so you can have some quiet. And you know what? I've never been treated ugly or rude by doing that. I've had some parents say, no, please just go away. And if they say that, I go away. But reaching out to that parent and just saying, what can I do? No judgment. It's how you're saying it too. You know, it's just like, what can I do to help you? Um, Oftentimes at church, when I have, when I see a young mother taking two or three kids out because they're just misbehaving and everything, I uh, follow them out. I follow them out, and when the kids come, then I look at the mom, and of course, this is before all this happened, and I give them a big hug, and I go, I'm, I, I'm feeling you. What can I do to support you? And then I always tell them this, listen to the old person. This will get better. You will get through it. You're doing the best job you can, mom, and just know that, and, and all of them are very appreciative, and it does teach us not to be so judgy, I think, 
you know, when you, you don't know what's going on in their mind and you don't know if they have sensory issues or you don't know if they have autism. There's so many things that, that kids have now that we don't know. So it's really, if I can't stress to your parents enough, try not to let those looks defeat you. You know, just focus in on your child. You're doing the best you can for your child and hopefully a bystander can be somebody that can support you. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. You have so much wisdom to share. I learned, I love when we interview people and I learned something. So I was, we were taking notes on the computer while you were talking. Well, y'all just made me feel so at ease. And I've just, like I said, my, my, I've had butterflies all afternoon. So y'all have been very patient with me. I so appreciate it. Okay. So you stay on the line. So don't hang up or anything. Okay. okay I'm not. This concludes episode 60, Switch on Your Brain, The Key to Peak Happiness Thinking and Health by Dr. Carolyn Leaf. This is our first interview of three with Kelly Smith, one interview with Kelly, and then two other interviews with other people. And Kelly, we got to have you back on the show, but don't you go away. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Witty and Gritty podcast. Join us at wittyandgritty.blog, where you can subscribe to our newsletter, check out our blog, and listen to more episodes. We have a Facebook group out there just for you, for discussion, support, and community. And don't forget to get your freebie that's designed just for this mini-series. If you have any questions, reach out. We'll be right there.